Good morning, everyone. My name is Norton. I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver Church. Uh, This past Thursday morning, I had a meeting scheduled with a friend. Um, We've been working on uh, this this sort of plan or this new initiative, and uh, we needed to get together to brainstorm some ideas, and we carved out a bunch of time to do that on Thursday morning. We had done some work before this, and so we'd set up this time where we could come together, brainstorm, and talk through some some plans and some strategies, and... uh, he never showed up. And so I texted him um, and I said, hey man, where are you? And he texted me back and he wrote, oh my gosh, the meeting isn't on my calendar. I don't know what happened. I am so, capital S, capital O, sorry. I don't have any excuse. And we texted back and forth and he just kept saying over and over how sorry he was, and I knew exactly how he felt, right? You know how he felt. Um, we've all done this. In fact, I, I remember specifically doing this. It was 10 years ago. Uh, we had just started our church. There weren't that many people involved in our church at that time. There was like 30 people involved, and there was this guy in our church. I got to know him. He was a great guy, and uh, he was going through this difficult situation or the season in his life, and he said he wanted to meet with me and, and talk through some things, and could I just help him and be there and give him some advice? And I said, I would love to, you know, all that. And so we set up a lunch to, to get together and meet, and I totally forgot. <laughs> and, and I felt horrible, right? I, in fact, I still feel bad about it. I, when I started thinking about that this week, I, it's like I started uh, feeling guilty because whenever we let someone else down, there's this weight that we pick up. It's like this, this weight of guilt. And it's not just when we don't show up at a meeting, you know, when we were supposed to. Um, it's, it's when you say something really hurtful to someone. And even as the words are coming out of my, your mouth, you know that they're really hurtful and, and they're probably never going to forget those words. We carry that weight. Um, and then when we lie to somebody or we deceive them, right? And in the moment, it felt like really small and not a big deal. But later, we think about it more and we realize, man, I just totally lied. And we just feel bad about it, right? We, we, we carry that weight too. Um, or maybe it's when a relationship doesn't work out and, uh, and there's blame on both sides with you and the other person, but you're pretty focused on your own blame and the things that you did wrong and, and you're kind of regretting and rethinking in your mind all the things you wish you could have or you should have done differently. And, and we carry the weight of these regrets, particularly when we let other people down, but also when we let ourselves down or when we let God down, right? Those the situations in our lives where we have an opportunity that comes up that we could actually help somebody else and we don't do it. And we realize later, like, wow, that was, that was really selfish. Like, it wouldn't have taken much to help them, but I just didn't because I didn't want to. And that was, we carry that weight as well. Or maybe there's a bad habit we have in our lives and, and there's this temptation that we keep facing over and over and over and we keep giving into it. And we just feel bad every single time. Or, or maybe it's not just a bad habit. Maybe it's worse than that. Maybe it's an addiction. And it's, 
One of those addictions you're really embarrassed of, right? Like it's pornography or something like that. And, and those kind of things just feel really dirty and really shameful. And, and for many of us, we have these, these weights. We have this, this baggage. We have this, this guilt. We have these failures, these regrets. It's like we're always carrying them around. And we can, we can try to hide them, right? We can, we can try to pretend they're not there. We can, we can fill our lives with all sorts of good things. And, and we have lots of good things, right? Some of us love our jobs. And we live in Colorado, so there's all kinds of fun things to do here. And, and we have great friends and great family. And so, so we can focus on all those things in our lives. And, and yet the weight never really goes away a weight of failure or of regret. And for some of us, we just accumulate it more and more and more. And we get to these places where it's like, what do I do with all this? I, I don't want this. Uh, we've been in this series, um, as Adam mentioned a little bit ago, uh, the series is called You Lost Me at Leviticus. And today we're going to read uh, one chapter, Leviticus chapter 16, And it's all about how to deal with the weight that we carry. Uh, You've actually heard about this ritual we're going to read about today. The name of the ritual is Yom Kippur. Um, In fact, it's even a holiday that's still widely celebrated by most Jewish people today. Um, In Hebrew, the word um, Yom or Yom means day. And uh, the Hebrew word... um, Uh, Kippur is the second word, and it sometimes is translated as atonement. So this day is often called the day of atonement. This word Kippur more specifically means uh, covering or cleansing or purging. So this could be the day of covering or the day of of cleansing or a day of of purging, a day of of unloading, a day of, of letting go of all the stuff that you're carrying. Here's a good summary of what happened on that day. This is chapter 16, verse 34. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement or covering or cleansing or purging, right, is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. So so today, we're gonna look at this this ritual, this, this ceremony where atonement was made uh, for their sins. And, and I'm going to read through some verses in this chapter. Um, we're not going to read through all of them. There's some repetition in the chapter. So I'm going to skip around a little bit. We won't put it all on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can sort of track along with me. It's Leviticus 16. If you don't, that's fine too. You can just uh, listen as I read the story. But together, we're going to try to discover why was this ritual so meaningful for these people? And how might it be meaningful for all of us? So here's what it says, chapter 16, verse 3. It says, this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. Now, first, let me tell you about this holy place. We have an image we'll put up here. Um, This is a replica of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Um, We've been talking about this for quite a while in Leviticus. This is the place where they came to worship and meet with God, the Israelites did, And uh, there would actually be a whole lot of tents surrounding this where everybody was camped out in the wilderness. And right in the middle of their camp was this 
this tabernacle, and, and you went into the entrance on the left side there, and you came into this courtyard, and in a, what was called the courtyard, there was this big altar right in the middle, and that's where sacrifices were, were offered. And there's a big basin you could see there that would have been filled with water. That's where uh, the priests would have washed their hands. Um, and anybody could go into that area. Priests and people would, would be in this courtyard offering these, these gifts to God. But then there's this structure in the middle. And this structure is called the holy place. And only priests can enter the holy place. They performed regular rituals there. And inside the structure, um, about halfway through, there was this huge tent that hang from, hung from the ceiling that separated off one specific room, and that room was called the most holy place. Or sometimes it was called the holy of holies. And only Aaron, he was the high priest over all the priests, only Aaron could enter into this room, could go behind this curtain, and only once a year on the day of cleansing, on the day of atonement. Here's what he would do. It continues. Verse 3. Um, he must bring a young bull for a sin offering uh, and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on a sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. And then from the Israelite community, he is to make, take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So, uh, I don't know if you were counting there, but there's five animals that are involved on this day. Two rams are called burnt offerings, and those are going to be part of the very end of the ceremony after everything ends. We're not going to read that part. Um, but then, he's also supposed to bring a bull for himself, it says, and then two goats from the community. Um, now, notice what he also has to do. It says, first, he has, he has to take a bath. Like, you, you need to wash yourself. And this was symbolic of you need to made, be made pure and clean. And then you have to put on these special clothes. And what's interesting about these special clothes is they were not the normal priestly clothes. Several chapters ago, we read about how the high priest would normally wear these very intricate embroidered and detailed and very colorful clothes. There was this, this whole outfit that the high priest would wear whenever they were doing, uh, whenever he was doing his duties. But on this day, he is to just wear these simple linen clothes. Linen just meant simple, not detailed, not embroidered, not colorful, probably very plain and just a white or a natural color. And in a sense, this might have represented humility. This might have represented what his posture should be like on this day. But it also meant that he represented everyone. He was dressed not differently, not as the high priest. He was dressed like everyone else would be dressed. In fact, look at what it says just a little bit later. If you skip down to verse 17, it says, No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time that Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out. So interestingly, on this day, everyone is gathered outside the tent. He is the only one inside 
the courtyard, and inside the tent. So he is the priest, and he's making atonement for the people, but he's also dressed like the people, and he's going in to represent the people. He is going in to do something on behalf of all the people. It goes on, verse 11. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Now, uh, this first sacrifice is for himself. He needs to be made pure and clean. And uh, we talked about these sacrifices uh, several weeks ago in part three, and uh, we, we recognized and said then these details of this animal sacrifice, I mean, it, it was, it's gruesome and it's a bit... Uh, barbaric sounding to us. Um, But back then, all of these details were very meaningful in that culture. So we just have to realize that. If you weren't here for that, you can go back and and listen to the message online, part three, where we discuss that. So first, Aaron is supposed to bring this offering for himself. And then verse 12, he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. So he's out in the courtyard offering these sacrifices, get some coals from the fire and grab some incense and go through the curtain into the most holy place. And remember, he only goes into this room once a year. And he's the only person in all of Israel that can go into this room behind this curtain. So this gets really real, really quick. And it says, he is to put the incense on the fire, on the coals, before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. So so there's clearly a level of fear and trepidation as he's entering this room. Now, when he goes in this room, there would have been only one thing in the room. It's called the Ark of the Covenants. And the Ark is this this box, and uh, inside the box was a a copy of, of the laws that God had given them. And then on top of the box are the carvings, or are carvings of these these two heavenly beings, and we don't know exactly what it looked like, but, but there was this spot where their wings uh, almost touched, and that was the spot where it was believed that the fullness of God's presence was. This is like the spot where God's throne is, where God actually sits and resides. And, and so you, you can imagine, um, for Aaron, this would have been a bit scary as he's going into this room. Um, We've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Everybody seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? We know how scary this would have been. If you have not seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, it is streaming on Netflix right now. Go home and watch it this afternoon, okay? Uh, Because you realize when you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, they do the job well there that you do not mess with the Ark of the Covenant. There is this mentality that existed and was definitely true in the ancient world that when you approach God. And if God is wrapped up with this box, and if this is where God like mysteriously is sitting or his presence is dwelling, that is something to be terrified 
of. Because God is holy. And we are not as humans, right? And the only time that Aaron can go into this room and actually approach God's presence is the one day a year where he carries all the sins of the entire nation with him. This would have been scary. And so you can even see this because the instructions are bring a bunch, bring some coals, bring a bunch of incense and make it start smoking a whole lot so that the smoke fills the room and you can't even see the spot where God is, you know, mysteriously dwelling so that if you don't see it, then you might not die because your eyes didn't gaze upon it. And there are these hints, we see this all throughout Leviticus, of this mentality, and we can get this impression, right? God is someone to be feared. God is someone who's usually angry at us. God is someone who has wrath and judgment for us. But there are glimpses of another story in Leviticus. There are glimpses of other ideas about God. He's also a God who invites people to draw near to him. He is a God who welcomes Aaron into his very presence. And when Aaron comes into this room, do you know what that cover is called on top of the ark? It's literally called the mercy seat. This is where God sits. It's not the anger seat. It's not the condemnation seat. It's not the judgment seat. It's the mercy seat. If you want to know one thing that's most important about God, it's this. He's a God of mercy. So we see these glimpses. Now, let's keep going. Verse 14, it says, Aaron is to take some of the bull's blood with his finger and sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover or the mercy seat. And then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. And these are the blood and purification rituals that sound odd to us, but they were common in that culture. And we've we've read about these before. Verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain And do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it too on the atonement cover and in front of it. And in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place. So that's interesting. The bull and the sacrifice of the bull was to make atonement for Aaron's sin. It was to cleanse Aaron of his sin, right? And then remember, there are two goats that are supposed to be brought on behalf of the people. Now one of those goats is sacrificed and it is to represent cleansing of this space, of this place where God dwells. So first Aaron needs to be cleaned and then the place needs to be cleaned. And remember, Aaron is doing all of this by himself. He's in this whole thing by himself. And we're not told what everyone else is doing. But we are told later in the passage that on this day, the people are not supposed to do anything else. I mean, it's very clear. They're supposed to do nothing else. No work on this day. No preparing meals on this day. No teaching the kids on this day. No fixing the broken wheels on your cart on this day. You are to do nothing else on this day. And I can only imagine that all the people are gathered outside and around this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, and they're wondering, right? 
Is everything okay inside? I hope everything is going okay inside. Is Aaron still alive? Did he survive going into God's presence? Did God accept his sacrifice? And here's how I picture this whole scene. Uh, Do you know those movies? There's lots of Hollywood movies that have this story. Something goes wrong up in space, right? And we have to send a spaceship up there to fix it. And uh, everyone on earth is gathered around jumbotrons in the city squares all across earth. And mysteriously, it's all live. We're able to watch it live and we're waiting to see if the spaceship is going to save planet earth, right? And, and, and it's like the whole life of earth on earth is hanging in the balance and it's hanging on this one spaceship or on this one crew or on this one person and what they have to do. And everyone is watching and waiting and quiet to see if the day will be saved. And it's like, that's what it was like on the day of cleansing. I got to imagine all the people are gathered around the tent. They've waited for this day. They've prepared for this day. They've been carrying all sorts of junk, and so they've been longing for this day when all their failures, all their regrets, all their guilt, all their shame can be dealt with. Now, you might be thinking, well, didn't they, didn't they have sacrifices every day? Like, didn't they deal with that all throughout the year? Because we just spent a lot of time reading chapters that talked about all these sacrifices they were supposed to offer during the year to deal with all of that stuff. But stop and think about it. These people are not any different than us right? There's all kinds of stuff that they did that they never confessed. There's all kinds of stuff that they did that they hid from one another. There's all kinds of stuff that they did that they just carried on their own and that they tried to deal with on their own. They had meticulous instructions for doing all those things. Do you really think, do we really think they all followed these meticulous instructions perfectly all the time? Of course not. And so God says, hey, What if there is one day a year, one day, where everything could be wiped clean, where the entire slate could be wiped clean, where you could be forgiven of anything and everything, and you could have a brand new start? And people have to be thinking, well, yeah, and that'd be amazing, right? That would be amazing. But can one man really go in there and represent all of us and all of the junk that we're carrying? Can one sacrifice really wipe away all of our sin? Can one day really take away all of our guilt and all of our shame and everything that we've been carrying. So the people are outside and they're waiting and they're hoping Aaron is inside and he's going back and forth and he's doing all of this work by himself. And it says this, verse 20, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goats. So remember the bull was for himself. The first goat was for the space And now he is to bring forward the second 
goats. But this one won't be sacrificed. Something different is going to happen with this goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. Now, earlier in Leviticus, we read about whenever someone brought a sacrifice to the tent, they were to put one hand on the head of the animal, and that was just a way of saying, I'm bringing this animal on behalf of me or of my family or of my household. But now, this is a little bit different. Aaron is to put both hands on the head of this one goat, and over the goat, he's to confess out loud, all of these sins. And just in case we don't understand the fullness or totality of this, there's three different words for sin that are used there. Uh, It says he's to confess all of the wickedness. And really that word means the the built up guilt that has accumulated over the course of a year. Um, He is to confess all of the rebellion. And this is a really strong word. So this means not just the little mistakes, not, not just the little stuff that you did that you didn't intend, but even the flat out like really bad stuff that you did that you just did on purpose that was just like rebellious. Confess all that too. And then just confess all of the sins. Anything that anyone in the nation could possibly be carrying. So Aaron's hands are on the head of this goat. And I don't know how long he's doing this, right? Does this take hours, right? Is he going through everything meticulously? Is he sort of using general categories? I don't know. But as he says these things out loud, it is as if the weight is being released and transferred. And then it says this, he shall send the goats away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. So someone has this task. So let me pause for a second and uh, ask. I, uh, I need a volunteer this morning. Who wants to volunteer? Somebody raise your hand. Jason, yes, come on up. Let's give it up for Jason. There was only one person that volunteered for this task, right? You don't even know what you're doing. Um, I would not volunteer for this task because if, if, I mean, think about the person, you can come up here all the way. Like think about the person that's supposed to be in charge of this task. The accumulated sin and rebellion and guilt of an entire nation have just been put on this goat. I don't want to be anywhere near the goat, right? I don't know about you, but somebody apparently is in charge of this task. So here's your job, Jason. In in just a moment, um, I'm gonna hand you this backpack. And it's heavy, it's not been very comfortable. Uh, And I want you to take it outside when I hand it to you. You could just go down these stairs and right out those doors over there. And there is a, a garbage can out there. And I want you to just dump this backpack in that garbage can. And we'll wait And I want you to come back inside. And when you come back inside, I want you to pause right here at this microphone. And I want you to just speak three words out loud. It is finished.
okay? So you can imagine, Aaron is alone in the tent. The people are waiting outside at the entrance. The person who's been given the task to take the goat is waiting out there. And maybe they've been there for hours. And they've got to be wondering, is everything okay? Is God really going to forgive us? And then the curtains open and there's Aaron. And he has this goat with him. And Leviticus says the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the person shall release it in the wilderness. Now there's a new image for the people of Israel, right? It's not just that God takes your sins and he covers over them. It's not just that he takes your sins and he wipes them clean or he scrubs you or he he washes you of them. It's that he literally takes your sins and your failures and your regrets and your guilt and your shame and he carries it away. You don't have to carry that burden anymore. God carries it away. In fact, in Hebrew, the word forgive just means to carry something. That's what God does. He forgives us because he carries those things away and we don't have to carry the burden anymore. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, perhaps you've made some connections in this story. Uh, The writer of Hebrews makes these connections because as the earliest followers of Jesus were trying to make sense of Jesus' death and resurrection, the, the writer of Hebrews, this book in the New Testament, remembers and leans into this imagery from the day of cleansing. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. This is Hebrews chapter nine. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. And then the writer describes the tabernacle and the altar and the priests and all the things that we've been reading about in Leviticus. And then verse six, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room the holy place, right, to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room 
That's the most holy place. And only once a year. And never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. But when Christ came as high priest, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. He did not enter by the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. And the writer of Hebrews, in in great detail, we won't read it all now, describes this system in ancient Israel where people had to, to bring these sacrifices and day after day the priests offered these sacrifices <clears throat> and year after year the, the high priest would go into the holy place, the, the most holy place and it's like it was endless. It was like this cycle that just kept going over and over and over and what if there was one sacrifice? What if there was one person who could come and offer something that would give forgiveness to all for good. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to you and to me today is that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the goat, right? Jesus is the one who offers himself on our behalf, and Jesus is the one who carries all of our sins and our burdens away, which means we don't have to wonder if God is going to forgive us. The writer of Hebrews says we can have full assurance that if we believe in Jesus and what he has done for us, we can have full assurance and a sincere heart. We can enter into God's presence knowing that God loves us and forgives us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, which means we don't have to stand outside the tent and wonder. I wonder if God's going to forgive us this year. I wonder if my sins are too much. I wonder if he's fed up with me. I wonder if he's tired of trying with me. We don't have to wonder because God has given every single one of us a new and a fresh start and said, I have done it once and for all. And no other sacrifice ever has to be made again. And so here's what we can do today as people of faith. We can simply believe in that. And we can ask ourselves, is there anything I'm carrying today that I need to just bring to Jesus? Are are there any burdens? Is there any guilt? Is there any shame? Are there any failures? Is there anything that I just, I need to be forgiven for? Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you're carrying those things. Or, Or maybe you've really never put your faith in Jesus and said, yeah, I want that. Today, you can do that. Let me pray for all of us, and then we'll spend some time reflecting on Jesus' grace. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, for every single one of us. Thank you for giving us this picture, this imagery that 
Our burdens can be carried, that we can't carry them ourselves because it'll kill us. But we can come to you. Thank you for reminding us that at the heart of everything, you are a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. And so help us to trust in that today.